The views expressed on this special broadcast of the Take 12 radio show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. A very scary experience. You know, God is a solution. God is a step. I like where he's going here. Helps the community grow, helps us grow. Bonnie, <laughs> Bonnie has done a phenomenal job. Lack of open-mindedness. And you're talking about taking people through a spiritual process and getting them into recovery. Thanks, Monty, uh, and thanks for all your support. We need spirituality to make this thing work long-term. It's an absolute pleasure. He certainly knows a lot of people. This is one of the places... It is about the business of the solution. And now, broadcasting on location somewhere in the vast expanse of the Pacific Northwest, it's the over-opinionated 12-stepologist, the Monty Man. Yep, that's right. Welcome aboard, everyone, to a very special edition of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show. I am your host of the Monty Man, and uh, you've tuned in to us uh, either on, well, probably on any one of your favorite uh, platforms as far as uh, podcasting. We're on all of them now. Um, and also at Take12Radio.com on your internet dial. Dave Fleming, Certified Alcohol and Drug Counselor Level 2, is in the house. Hey, Dave. Hey, What's Monty. happening? What's happening? Certifiable. And, yeah, you are. And, uh, by the way, the, the title for this show is Easy Does It, because there, right there next to Dave. And how does he do it? Is our friend Ezekiel Hill. Hey, Easy. Well, Hello. Affectionately known as Easy. How long? How long have people been calling you that? Uh, my mom gave me that nickname Did when, she? I, when I was in football in second grade. Yeah, eight yeah. years old. Yeah, and it stuck. We also call him Summertime Santa. Summertime, summertime Santa. Santa. Summertime That's right. Santa. That's right. So um, the reason we call it Easy Does It is because today on the show, on this very special podcast, which we usually do Mondays, but we're doing this Saturday show um, because this is when Easy could be here. And I thought, you know what? We don't want to miss this story. Uh, folks, I think you're going to really enjoy this. Um, so we called it Easy Does It because Easy has done it and continues what is to do it? it. Well, we're going to talk about what it is here in uh, just a few minutes. Um, but we like to have a little fun on the show. So um, I think it's time for this. Dun -da -dum -da -dum. And now. And now. It's the quiz of the week. That's right. This is uh, the part of the show where we try to stump our guest, in this case, Ezekiel. Uh, we'll do a little, uh, because he is a graduate of the Adult and Teen Challenge program, we'll do some Teen Challenge trivia. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Now, if you get all of these right, the only thing you get is bragging rights. That's it. 
Actually, what we will give you, if you turn around right behind you, Easy, we'll give you a Take 12 Recovery Radio Monty Man mug. Sweet. How's that sound? That sounds awesome. Right. Here, hold it. Hold it up for everybody to see. There, Dave. There it is. There's the Monty Man on one side and Take 12 Recovery Radio on the other. And you actually, you can have one of these and fine you can, specimens. You can. If you go to Take12Radio.com and go down to the bottom of the page where it says Get Our Mug, you click on there and you'll have a heck of a deal. There you go. So easy. Yes. Are, are you ready for a little sure am, Monty, bring it on. All right. So uh, according, number one, uh, by the way, if you get it wrong, you get the fluff machine. If you get it right, you got the Denver Cowbell. All right. All right. Here we go. Question number one. You get you get two and a bonus. According to Teen Challenge USA, the biggest difference between adult and teen challenge and traditional residential recovery centers is known as a specific factor. What is this factor? Here are your choices. Is it the faith factor, the Jesus factor, or the God factor? What do you think, Easy? <laughs> that sounds like the speechless. same answer. Uh, let's go with the God factor. What do you think, Dave? <laughs> what are my choices again? The faith factor, faith. the Jesus factor, or the God factor? And this is Teen Challenge USA. Yep. Um. All right. Time's up. Oh, they've got it right. It is the Jesus factor. Sorry, easy. Our program focuses on the power of the Holy Spirit and God's word to give our students a guiding light. We encourage our students to form a stronger connection to their faith. This makes a huge difference in their recovery. We provide a faith-based environment to encourage healing and a new life in Christ. We instill biblical teachings into our daily routines. We give our students the tools they need to empower themselves through God. And we refer to this as the Jesus factor. It's according to uh, Teen Challenge USA. All right, here's number two. Teen Challenge started its first residential program in December of 1960 in a house in Brooklyn, New York in 1973. Thirteen years after the ministry began, Teen Challenge established national headquarters. Pastor David Wilkerson was the founding father of the Teen Challenge program. Who played Pastor Wilkerson in the 1970 movie, The Cross and the Switchblade? And here are your choices. Was it Billy Graham? Was it missionary Smith Wigglesworth? Or was it Pat Boone? Pat Boone. Dave, you say Pat Boone too? Oh, yeah. Yes, you guys are correct. It was Pat Boone in his white patent leather shoes. (laughs) Very good. All right, and here's your bonus. Oh, wait a minute. I have to give you the information about Pat Boone. Starring Pat Boone uh, as David Wilkerson and Eric Estrada as Nikki Cruz, the uh, teen gang member whose life was transformed by Wilkerson's ministry, the film was based on a nonfiction book of the same name, The Cross and the Switchblade. Okay, here's question number three, trivia question number three. According to the education coordinator at the Adult and Teen Challenge Center you graduated from, Easy, what is the ultimate reason God directs men to this recovery ministry? Is it A? To be of maximum service to God 
ourselves uh, to God and the people He puts in our life. He didn't even have to have the other choices. That is correct. <laughs> the other choices were to change the consequences that has been a result of drinking and using, or B to get sober and stay sober, or C, which was the correct answer, to become of maximum service to God and the people He puts in your life. Good job, my brother. Good, good job. Yay! There you go. <laughs> and that does it for Take 12 Trivia. <clears throat> we'll be right back right after this with our friend Ezekiel Hill. And this episode, Easy Does It. Don't go away. Check this out. When I got back from Iraq, I just couldn't shake the guilt that I came home and 34 other men did not. There isn't a drink or a drug out there that can touch that kind of pain. Believe me, I tried. But when I heard a Teen Challenge story on the radio, I finally decided to get help. This program did for me what nothing else seemed to be able to do. It gave me hope. Now I can finally move on and live my life in a way that honors those who lost theirs. To locate a Teen Challenge Center near you or for more information, visit TeenChallengeUSA.com. Hey, check it out. The best in recovery talk and positive music radio is now available on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, and Podomatic. Simply visit any of these platforms and search for Take 12 Recovery Radio. Listen and download hundreds of our shows for fun and for free. Also available at Take12Radio.com. Welcome back to the show. That's Mr. Tony Morosi and his recovery band, Selfish Steam, without the booze. Speaking of which, our guest on the show for this very special broadcast is Mr. Ezekiel Hill, who has been living without the booze and other mind-altering substances uh, for some time now. And so what we like to do when we have a special guest on sharing his story of experience, strength, and hope is to kind of divide it up into what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. So uh, we're actually going to play a song by Richie Supa after we finish the first segment of what it was like. So easy. The reason we're talking uh, about Teen Challenge today on this show and kind of helping to promote that program is because you yourself uh, completed the 12-month program and then went on to complete the aftercare, and which was a total of 16 months, and you are a graduate of the Adult and Teen Challenge program, true? True. Yeah. But before you did all that, and before you looked as handsome and devonair and healthy and sparkling-eyed as you do now, you weren't doing too well. No. What was going on? Oh, a whole lot. I mean, I, I started drinking and uh, smoking pot when I was in... Junior high, actually. Um, it started with cigarettes and, and weed, and then a couple of years later, I was... I got drunk for the first time when I was 15. Like, 
I had tried alcohol before, but mm-hmm. I never got drunk. And I, let me tell you, I was an alcoholic from my very first drunk. After the very first, I because I started to get drunk, and then I just wanted to keep keep drinking because I liked the effect. So I was an alcoholic from the first time I got drunk. So you were drinking alcoholically from the very first sip. Did you did you know that though, or, or I mean, did you have a clue about that? Or no, no, absolutely that, yeah, not. Yeah. I, I had no idea. Just looking back on it now, like that's that's what was happening. You bet. You know, um, but when I was, so I dropped out of high school. You know, I was drinking and smoking pot, and I just cared more about that than anything else. So I dropped out of high school and got my GED when I was eighteen. I got my GED. I dropped out when I was the end of my sophomore year, but I got my GED when I was the beginning of my what would have been my senior year. Right. And I ended up um, being introduced to heroin when I was nineteen years old. So how did that happen? I actually was just at a friend's house. I I had known him for him and his three brothers or two brothers for like six years Mm -hmm. leading up to that. And I had walked outside to smoke a cigarette and I heard one of them, the guy, the guy friend that I was closest with, the brother that I was Uh closest with him and another friend of of ours in their woodshed. And I just thought, oh, you know, I just went to go investigate, see what they're doing. And I walked around the corner and they're holding a spoon and a lighter, you know, and I didn't know exactly what they were doing, but they both looked like, you know, bug eyed, like, oh, crap, we just got caught. Oh, OK. You know, and so that was not their intention for you to see that. No, it was yeah. not their intention for me to see that. And I had. So I told them um, that I wanted to try and they asked me if I had ever done it before, which I hadn't. But I fabricated this story about finding some in my dad's desk drawer and then smoking it, uh, you know. I bet dad appreciated that. Yeah, he didn't know about that. Oh, well, that it, he doesn't Well, he does now. <laughs> yeah. Or he will. Yeah, he will when he hears this. By 30. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, were but you, yeah, were, were you intoxicated up, at the time? I was stoned, I'm sure. Okay. You know, I pretty much always was sure. at that time of my life. Yeah. You know, you were, um, you were, you were a pothead for the most part. Up till then. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would drink whenever I could. Yeah. You know, but I wasn't able to buy it yet. So I it wasn't gotcha. wasn't readily available, you know. But the very first time I used heroin, what that night, I I used a needle. I didn't graduate from, I didn't use pills before that, and I didn't mm-hmm. smoke it. I, mm-hmm. The very first time, I went straight to the vein. Wow. You know? And then that started a four-year addiction, a uh, heroin addiction for me. You know, Did, what was 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 it the the, um, the the promised land for you from the first experience? I mean, you oh yeah, the euphoria and, and the whole nine yards. You were like, yeah, I was this like, this is for me. This is the bee's knees. You know, let's yeah. let's do that again. Right. You know, that's that was my mindset, and so I just did every. I mean, I did everything I could to just do that, and I never had any desire to get a job or mature or grow up at all. You know, during that time of my life, you know, and then drugs was introduced and then I didn't even have a thought of doing those things. I, yeah. You know, I yeah. was, I was a leech. So, so lots of folks have, uh, there's, there's a myriad re- of reasons why people use mind altering substances, right? Right. Some people are just curious, right? Some people there's a peer pressure involved. Maybe 
other people, there's trauma and they discover a way to medicate and, you know, hide behind that and not feel and that kind of, why did you start even smoking pot? I mean, was there something going on or was it just, I'm just a young guy and I'm going to try this out? I mean, it was, it was a mix of things, you know, yeah. looking back now, I know I can pinpoint pretty much what it was. It was, um, I had really low self-esteem issues. You know, I had moved from Southern California up to Salem, Oregon in junior high when, you know, right before I started smoking pot, it was like six months before that I had moved and I got more overweight than I already was from moving to California. I got Mm -hmm. a lot more overweight really quickly and that didn't help my self-esteem at all. Sure. You know, and... And then the other side was that I was just curious, you know, and so it was like, I didn't have to feel this way anymore, you know, and that's, the curiosity was more like in the moment, whereas looking back, there was also like this, these things were helping mask the way I I was feeling about myself. So so I want to address something here, and and I I think, uh, uh, kind of get Dave's take on this too. A lot of people may be listening right now and saying to themselves, well, I mean, I understand if you've had a traumatic experience and it's just horrible and why you would want to maybe mask how you feel. But dealing with being overweight and just growing up, I mean, how can that be traumatic? And, you know, I don't get it. Well, the deal of it is we know that trauma is very subjective. I I mean, your trauma may be that you were never hugged. Mine may be that I was hugged too much. You know, we can't really, you know, say, well, that wasn't a legitimate traumatic thing because we're not that other person. Right, Dave? Right. And, you know, trauma, trauma is an interesting thing because, you know, sometimes even as, as, as short or as long as some of us are in recovery. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we have traumatic stuff that happens to us that, that we don't want to talk about or we don't want to share. And, you know, it makes it difficult yeah. to try to explain it to people. It does. You know, um, I always try to look at it like, um, you know, I just try to share that, you know, there's, and I don't even really talk about this either, but I've had traumatic experiences of it in my life and I don't talk about them because, uh, I, don't, I mean, I don't, I don't really need to. Right. Right. You know, as they say, stuff happens. It is what it is. You know, and and then you allow yourself to do other things that kind of lead you down this road. And, you know, like we've we've talked, you know, I've talked about, you know, some of my stuff. I've kind of lived, went down that dark side and lived there for a while. Right. You know, right. uh, The self medication, right. You learn through experimentation or peer pressure, Mm -hmm. you know. I think I was 12 when I, I mean, I didn't know because I didn't have the information right. about being an addict, but by the time I was in high school, um, I'm the last man standing after doing whiskey and beer bongs on the golf course. Yeah. That should have told me something, right? Sure. You know, and I, and I don't know if you had any of those experiences, but um, yeah, and there's stuff that happens along the way. That, sure. Um, they kind of stack on each other. Trauma kind of stacks on each other. I mean, it could just be little things like, you know, maybe you, you had some 
uh, you're bullied or had some verbal abuse, maybe mm-hmm. parents or foster parents or, or whatever it is, um, feel like you're not doing good enough. Um, all these little things that come from other people stack on top of each other. Sure. And it ends up kind of being a little like PTSD. It doesn't have to have this one. Doesn't have to be one traumatic, event. like right. you know, you're in, in a war or the yeah, an explosion well, or a car crash or something. And and, and the thing is too, it, uh, easy. It, it wasn't like you had low self esteem and you automatically just said, "Oh, there's heroin. Let's do heroin." You were drinking, right? Would be would, some would consider the low end of the scale of of beginning substance abuse. Maybe you know, I had. A, I mean, my my first drink was, you know, somebody had a Coors Light or I, no, wouldn't even ha- they didn't even have light back then. Coors was the light, right? <laughs> and it was like somebody had one. I thought, uh, you know, well, that's interesting because I had I had tasted whiskey prior to that because of weight issues and being made fun of and all that kind of thing. Um, it's and peer pressure. What yeah, usually happens. It's like, yeah, I want to be just like. And I was ten foot tall, tall and bulletproof, yeah. right? And then it let. So yours, it kind of led up to that. You were getting stoned, right? So, mm-hmm. you're, so you're using you're using heroin. You've arrived, right? And you keep using it. What is going on? Did this take you down a road um, of destruction, or was it working for a while? Uh, no, it it wasn't working for a while. I mean, it, there's. If you're going to do heroin, there's only one road that you're on, whether you realize it or not. You're on the road to destruction. I mean, right? You know, so very quickly, I um, got kicked out of my parents' house. I had a good friend; their family took me in, even gave me a, my own bedroom and let me live with them for a year. And all I did was steal from from them mm-hmm. and and use them and was extremely ungrateful to them and my family. They they ended up kicking me out, you know, so this was like two years into my using, and then I ended up, I had a girlfriend, and I she actually didn't use before she met me, but after she became my girlfriend, she sure did, you know? Yeah. And um, then we ended up buying a car, and so I was going to take off, to California and just go backpacking down the road and just go hitchhiking because I was I was done you know I was like I'm I'm getting out of this town it's got to be the town that's the problem right 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 <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she decides she wanted to go with me you know so she actually packed up uh, we packed up two backpacks like hikers backpacks mm-hmm. and started off down the road and she just left her apartment stuff in there and everything and she just wow. just took off you know and went with me and we ended up coming back. Oregon just a few weeks later and um, bought a car and lived out of a car for for like a year, you know, and then the car broke down and then uh, then we lived on the streets for a few months and I was able to get a job while I was homeless. I got a pizza job Uh and saved up enough to move into really crummy apartment, you know, uh, in downtown Salem, right in felony flats, actually. Yeah. Oh, how convenient. Yeah, what? right? There's how actually convenient. a place called Felony Flats? Yeah, in Salem, there's a part of town that is referred to as Felony Flats. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's not yeah, we have real, that. it's just slang. It's we have that slang, in Albany, yeah. too. It's just a one-block radius around one of the 7-Eleven. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's like in L.A., Skid Row, you know. It's, sure. It's the same the idea. Ghetto. You know? Every Yeah, it's the ghetto. Every town has one. You know? Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, that I ended up getting an apartment, and then I paid for a month's rent, and we stayed there. 
and I'd spend all my rent money on dope. You know, so we so this whole time you're slamming heroin. Oh, the whole living time. with this gal. Whole time, and you're on the streets or in the car, and you're yep cooking pizzas. Yeah, well, I was cooking, I was cooking pizzas for like I did that for like six months. I was working in the mall at Sabaro. Of all the pizza places, I was working in the mall where actually <laughs> people had to see me all the time, which was. It's crazy to me. I don't know how I actually pulled that off, but I did. Who's that guy tossing pizza dough and falling asleep in the middle of the toss, right? <laughs> crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Do that again, Dave. You can't see it, those that aren't watching on YouTube, but Dave was Do flipping what? pizza. Flip the pizza, Dave. Flip it's the actually, pizza. There you go. It's actually like this and then... Right, you do the yeah, you, yeah. You, you yeah. pull it and and stretch with your knuckles, and then you can do a toss. The toss is more for show, actually. Sure. It's not that difficult to spin it and toss it. No, not I mean, at all. Once you know how to do it. It's yeah, fine. I picked I picked it up in a couple Man, of days. I'm hungry. Yeah. Are you? <laughs> Let me whip you up a pie real quick. So easy. That's my other addiction. So so obviously things weren't getting better. What what happened next? I ended up moving down. Uh, to California, I was like, because again, I had this, yeah. Well, I had it in my idea, my my head, this idea in my head that it was, it had to be the town. I just had to get away from my connections and and the bad people and influences in my life. So I broke up with my girlfriend, um, and it wasn't even formal. I just kind of was like, left. By the way, I'm moving to California, and she's like, what? And I was like, yep, see you. Wow, like, nice guy. Yeah, I, I didn't. There was no, there was no warning, no nothing. Right. In fact, actually, I knew I was going to break up with her, and I was like, "Well, I still want her company around up until I lead, lead up, leave, you know, leave." So I'm not going to say anything until the moment I'm leaving. Sounded so, like you wanted something other than company, right? But I'm not going to, you know, you, right? <laughs> we all know what I'm talking about. Sure, sure. Because because addiction is multifaceted and yeah absolutely so she was part of your addiction oh absolutely yeah and you you hers so you, did you move back down to California I did I moved in with my grand my grandpa and my aunt and uncle and mm-hmm. two cousins that they all live in the same house in West Covina California L A County and I I moved down there and I wasn't I had stopped using heroin but I was still drinking you know and smoking pot. Yeah, but in my mind, I was like, "Well, at least I'm not doing dope," you know. Like, oh yeah, which yeah. is you know, it's just the whole trading Typical. addictions thing, sure. You know, um, but I, my grandpa gave me a couple of months to get a job, or I have to, you know, figure move it out. out. Yeah, yeah. So um, I went down to the mall, went right. down to the same pizza place, Sabaro, and was like, "Hey, I just moved here from Oregon. I already am trained. Um, you know, we we." hire me can i and they did it i it obviously wasn't like that i get permanent application and had an interview and stuff but sure. i mean they they hired me right away and i was actually one of the guy's favorite uh employees i which, which was very strange because i was an alcoholic you know but i've always had like a good work ethic like if i was at work i was going to do my job and i'm going to be focused and Mm-hmm. You know, do a good job at my at my job, but as soon as I clock out, man, I'm gone. Do not call me because I'm not coming. Well, and the, and know? the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous t- refers to that. Uh, you know that 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 we are we're we're very talented. We're very sensitive people. We're very good at our jobs, and our work ethic is very good. But when it comes to, and in that case, alcohol, right? When it comes mm-hmm. to alcohol, something's wrong. Right. Oh, so, yeah. so you have all these other attributes, but you've got this substance that is interfering with your life. Yeah. 
Did you keep your job or did you get fired? I ended up getting fired. Um, it took almost two years before that happened. But, yeah. But I ended up getting fired. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up getting having to move out of my grandpa's house. Um, and it's, same thing. I I ended up meeting a friend in California that his family really liked me, and mm-hmm. so when I got kicked out, they took me in, and I stayed with them for like six months. You know, and uh, I ended up having to leave there, too, because I just was I got this other pizza job and then I ended up getting fired from that. And then I just like really started drinking all the time instead of just in between work. You know, it was like just not good. And so I got kicked out there. I ended up living on the streets in Southern California in the Azusa Canyons. I was I was living homeless and there's a whole homeless community in the Azusa Canyons. I met this guy. Vietnam vet Stony Burke, hmm. and he uh, claimed he was he had uh, Agent Orange been infected sure. with it during yeah. the war, yeah. and uh, that's when I started slamming meth. I had never done that before. Oh, this so guy, he, this he introduced guy, you to that? Yeah, he introduced yeah. me to that. This guy told me that he d- used this was his medication for the Agent Orange. Gotcha, right? And yeah. And so that's yeah I started I started doing that and man I lost my mind. I mean there was like a whole whole month there that I was spun out and drinking and just oh my goodness. I I mean I, it's a blur but it's also not a blur because I was spun out cuz like I my it yeah it's weird. It was just a yeah, yeah just a tornado of self-destruction. So did, so, so did your behaviors become that of someone that you didn't recognize? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's not. It's night and day with me when I'm when I'm intoxicated under, under the influence. I am a different person. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm sober, even when I've been sober just a month, you know, I'm I'm a completely different person. People are able to pick up on that very quickly. Did you Did you drop a lot of weight when I was using? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I got really sucked up when I when I stopped using the last time. I was like. 156 pounds. Wow. You know? Wow. So physically, this was taking its toll. Mentally, it was taking its toll. Psychosis was happening, right? I mean, you you know, we referred to that as spun out. Right? I mean, we're, we're just, we're tweaked, we're spun, we're, you know, reality. Flailer. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Did, were you hallucinating? Were you talking to people who weren't there? Did you have amphetamine psychosis going on? What, you know, how bad did it get? Only, only a little bit. There, there was a like two or three different times where I stayed up for more than two nights in a row. Like yeah. I'd been up for like my third night, but that was usually it. I, I never, I've never been up for more than. No, actually, take it back. Five nights in my row in a row was my the longest I'd ever been awake, um, and that was one of the two or three times sure. that I saw like shadow people. What they refer to as shadow people, right? You know, like, right. Like not necessarily a full on hallucination, but mm-hmm. like a shadow that's like distorted that looks like a person Did it or scare you? something. Oh yeah, yeah. One of them looked like a death, like the figure of death, right? You know, and I was like going to sleep after I'd been up for like three nights, yeah. And I was going to sleep finally, and this death was st- watching me, and I like was staring at it for a long time, and I would close my eyes and like open them a few minutes later and it was still there. And then I started talking to it and then another one showed up that was different looking, but it was taller and it was, 
Is it possible that not only amphetamine psychosis was going on, but knowing what we know about even the word drugs, pharmakia, which means witchcraft, right? That there may have been a spiritual element associated with this as well? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, there is an an unseen world. Sure. You know, that's what the Bible says, right? Yeah. There is an unseen world. So, I mean, that... I saw it after about 14 days. (laughs) Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, and so and then and then you you mix that with you know the hallucinogenic properties of you know lack of sleep. I mean, just, just a person that right. doesn't sleep for a week without any substances is going to start you know having issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so, did you have run-ins with the law? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I got arrested like in total, something like seventeen times. Seventeen times, something yeah. like that. There weren't new charges every time. I had got, I got a felony when I was eighteen. Five days after I turned eighteen, I blacked out drunk and broke into the Swiss Village, which is a little mom and pop restaurant. I don't even remember doing it. You know, there's mm-hmm. like there's like three flashes of memory of of like two seconds long yeah. of me walking up to the glass door and then punching the glass door and then stepping under and then it cuts out and then I'm like the next time it cuts back in is I'm smashing the register and then it cuts out and the next time it cuts back in I'm going to sleep under a tree like I guess a mile down the road and then it cuts right. out and then I'm waking up in the back of a cop car with handcuffs and then I it cuts out and then it's four in the afternoon and I'm in jail and don't know where I am <laughs> what know, was the so. what was the what would you consider the highest cost you paid in your active addiction the highest cost that I paid would probably be my uh the ties and moments with my family that I missed and mm. broke that I had that I've had to do my best at rebuild rebuilding. Yeah. yeah. You know? So we're going to talk about um, that whole thing, the restoration and the rebuilding and how you got into recovery and uh, how you got into adult teen challenge and that kind of thing. But first I want to play this song by Mr. Richie Supa. Um, that really speaks to the high cost of low living. And, you know, consequently, consequently, no, that's not the word I'm looking for. I'm not sure what word I'm looking for. Uh, coincidentally, that's the one. Coincidentally <laughs> enough, uh, this song is entitled The High Cost of Low Living by Richie Supa. So check this out. You ready? Here we go. Of low 
missing the point of life Doing so much wrong just so I can get right A lie that I don't believe in Wonder who can I trust Disgust every time I do it Still I can't get enough The drugs rushing through my veins Got me going insane And end up giving me more pain Than they're taking away Somebody take me away Before I'm dining on a bullet Got my finger on the trigger But I'm too scared to pull it in So I'm doing things That I swore that I'd never do Sell the kids Cause they mamas is using too There's no denying Everything that I speak is true In any city you can find me Cause I am you Hot pack, took a shot And then I dropped Woke up, drove back to the block To cop, locked me up in prison In a single man cell It's still me that holds the key That keeps me living in hell When you cross the line And you can't get back There's always a price to pay I've been licking my wounds And healing my scars From all my yesterdays And when the ghosts go on and you land in jail Counting bricks across the floor Sorry, just don't cut it, no When they swing Super with his song, The High Cost of Low Living. Easy. Can you identify? Yeah, that song's jamming, man. I know. That's a great song, isn't it? Uh, w- was there a point where, like like in the song, he talks about, you know, not, not knowing if you're going to make it back. Was there a point where you thought, I'm not going to make it back? Oh, I, there was no back for me. It was only, I started using it when I was so young that I didn't know anything better. So this was, as far as you were concerned, you were just going to keep going to the bitter end. Oh, yeah. I there. I had no vision for the future because I honestly didn't think I had one. Right. You know, I didn't think I was going to be alive for very too many years if I continued down the road yeah. that I was on. Yeah. You know, I knew that, but I couldn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened, man? I mean, something interrupted this. <laughs> well, there's a short answer. I could say that. You know, there was a divine appointment that happened in my life. Yeah. You know. Um, Give us the details. Okay. So there's this uh, a pastor, uh, Gary Hinky, that is connected with the Dalton Teen Challenge in mm-hmm. some ways. And he... Hi, Pastor Hinky, he got, by the way. Got, yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey, Gary. He's listening. So, so uh, yeah. I... He ended up actually getting in touch with my dad. My dad does web, web development. He needed a... Web- now, were you in California at this time? No, I was back in Oregon. You're at, back in at Oregon. This time. Okay, yeah. but you're still using. 
I had started using again. Uh, I okay. hadn't when I moved back down to California in 2013. Mm-hmm. I actually had stopped using. I had mm-hmm. stopped all the way up until the end uh, until summer of 2017. So I yeah. had stopped for four years, and uh, I had started. But I had started using again. And so my dad builds web pages. Mm-hmm. Gary Hankey needed a web page. Um, they ended up becoming um, talking more than just about business, right? Um, my dad was informed about Teen Challenge and came to do some research about it and discovered that he really liked what he had found out about it. Mm-hmm. And so he ended up telling me and told me, you know, basically gave me an ultimatum, you know, said, you know, I love you, but I can't watch you do this again. You yeah. Know? So um, I'll, he said, I'll pay for the intake fee and I'll send you there. And but if you don't complete that program you're not coming back here. So I don't, know, I don't know what you're yeah. going to do. So, you know, and so I was like, okay, you know, cause I didn't, at that point I didn't have the fortitude to be homeless again. You know, I just didn't, I knew that, you know, yeah. so I was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll go into this program, you know, whatever it is, let's, did 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 Pastor Gary introduce Teen Challenge to your dad? Is that how your dad found out about yes. it? Yes. Yeah. 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 And I ended up talking to Gary two or three times before actually going into the program, right. telling him, you know, basically I was messed up and I didn't, you know, but and I wanted to stop, but I couldn't, you know, I didn't know how. And, you know, so he like spoke some life in, into me. And did, did you wonder before you met him, did you wonder how your story would be perceived? Did you expect like hammer down kind of stuff? And, and, and what did you find instead? How my story would be perceived? Yeah. I mean, when you were talking here, I, I I mean, I know the first time that I was suggested to talk to somebody, I had a whole lot of mixed feelings going on. I don't know if I want to talk to this person. I don't know how, you know, I'm I'm kind of a loser. And I mean, yeah. What did you think? What was going through your head? Yeah. Well, he was a pastor and, He just has this way about him that makes you want it, that makes you real comfortable with the he guy does. right yeah. away, he, you know. So I didn't feel like that, not with him. Good deal, know? yeah. So it was, and I hadn't met him face to face at this point. I had only talked to him on the phone, right? But I even still, I was like, I didn't have any problem mm-hmm. opening up to the guy, you know. So I went into the program. I went into Teen Challenge March fifteenth of two thousand eighteen. I went to the. Dalton Teen Challenge program in Shed, Oregon, here in the Pacific Northwest. Yay! And uh, <laughs> I ended up, and that's Shed with two D's. Ooh, yeah, with Shed two with D's. two D's. Yes, right. Yes. Man, <laughs> yeah. There's Meh. more more sheep there than people. <laughs> so yeah, it was actually the perfect like setting for a recovery center. You yeah. know, because there's nothing around. There's just fields of grass seed being grown. It's the grass seed capital. Sure. <laughs> you know, so there's just fields. And then there's a sheep field across the street. And it's a, not a busy street. So you there's know. no big city distractions. There's no distractions. Yeah. There's no buses. So you can't leave, you know. And, I mean, if you leave, you're you're hiking. You right. Know? You're not just, it's not just a walk. I mean, you're going for a hike if you, if you walk out of there. You think it's like 17 miles into Albany. Something like that. Yeah. It's it's not, (laughs) yeah, it's a hike. So perfect setting, you know, so I go into this program and I, it took me about a month before I really had really decided to commit myself Mm -hmm. in, in going through this program, you know, and 
uh, it was right about that time where I decided to go through this program and commit myself when I actually um, met Dave and was he he told he told me that this Dave right here this Dave right here yeah and he told me that hi Dave that if <laughs> you know that I'm sure I've heard it you're gonna put get with out of this program what you put into it but the thing is he's he felt the same way that I did at the beginning of my recovery that if you know if he was gonna go through these steps he was gonna do them to the best of his ability and you know if nothing changes then he would just go back to doing to using and I was like yep that's exactly how I feel you know I, I'm gonna go through these steps and I'm gonna do it to the best of my ability and if nothing changes then oh well <laughs> you know then yeah. nothing changes then I'm resigned sure. to my fate sure and you know that the funny thing is is that I'm I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a perfectionist you know and just so a bit. <laughs> yeah just a bit right yeah <laughs> okay yeah, so I'm they... a perfectionist <laughs> <laughs> and you know so I decided to actually apply myself Right. You know, and, and go through the 12 steps, you know, and do whatever I needed to do to to actually bring about a change mm -hmm. in my life. And it wasn't it wasn't me bringing about the change. I was putting in the work to facilitate the change, but it was God coming into my life and making the, the change actually real and tangible. Had you yeah. had any kind of relationship with God at all prior to this? No, I, I had head knowledge of God. Okay. Now, I wasn't ignorant of the Bible or, or even some scriptures, but I was had no relationship with him whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that what that began developing while at Adult and Teen Challenge? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I was, uh, it was like April 10th or 11th, somewhere in there, and I was reading my Bible during the morning devotions times because I was actually one of the guys during that morning devotion time that sat there and read my Bible like was suggested to do. Because I, unlike some, unlike some, <laughs> yes, we'll just say some. Everybody's yeah. on their own journey, right. journey. Yeah, I mean, it is, but I was at the point where I wanted to take suggestions because my way of thinking wasn't work wasn't working. working. So, mm -hmm. you guys give me some clues as to what to do. I'll I'll actually do them because, you know, because I want things to actually change. And so I came across this verse, Jude 10. It said, but these people scoff at things they do not understand, like unthinking animals. They do whatever their instincts tell them. And so they bring about their own destruction. And I was I still am. I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit had led me to read that verse in that moment, in that time of my life, to realize that that's how I had been living my life for so long. I was an unthinking animal. I was completely driven by my lusts and my desires and my appetites and not by anything else. Yeah. You know, it was the only, so like an unthinking animal and I was bringing about my own destruction. And so I was led there. And so April 19th, Pastor Gary came and it was the first time I met him face to face. He gave one of his world-class sermons mm -hmm. and he did an altar call. And I actually didn't stand up right away. I, you know, I was like, mulling it over in my head you know and then before i before i knew it i was standing up and i was like oh well all right <laughs> you know and and so april 19th i asked jesus christ into my heart to be you know to be my lord and savior and to help me and to please god help me because i can't help myself you know and uh and everything started changing at that point you know i wasn't sure if i was sincere when i asked him into my heart uh-huh but 
Gary told me I was with his reassuring smile that he has. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, things started changing at that point. My I had a different outlook and uh, different perception on things. And I realized that my attitude is going to affect whatever I'm doing. Right. Not, not just if it's something, you know, that not just a job or or you know, hanging out with someone, you know, having a good times or something fun. But, you know, my attitude is going to affect every part of my life. And so since I have a good work ethic when I'm an alcoholic, I decided to apply that same gift, you know, into the other areas of mm -hmm. my life, specifically the recovery area of my mm -hmm. life. So when I got to doing step four, I had written out my own third step prayer, right? Right. Which I had said I had said almost every morning for months while I was at Teen Challenge. Months. And, <laughs> and for the listeners' morning. sake that may not know, right, step one is what? We admitted to ourselves, to God, and to... No, <laughs> we admitted that we were powerless, were powerless over dr drugs and alcohol and that our lives had become, un become unmanageable. Yeah. Uh -huh. And step two is... Decided to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand. That's actually him. step three. Step step two is is, oh, is we it? recognize that a power greater oh, than ourselves, right, right. yeah, can restore can sanity. Restore to sanity. So right. you you actually did a third step prayer that you wrote out, right? That was right. that involved turning your will and your life over to the care of God yes. as you understood Him and as you understood Him and continue to understand Him. Yeah, it's it, an active. It's not just as I understand Him and put Him in this box. Has but he, she, it, or them? It's right. It's yeah. it's a continuance understanding that's of right god you know and which is yeah i think at that point you had more you had more questions than you had answers oh absolutely and you and it was great because you were i, I got to be a part of that of you you know exploring that whole thing and uh we we spent a lot of time uh pretty much after that you know you would turn your life over and I think after that, I think we spent, you know, it seemed like at least two days a week uh, for at least an hour, if not longer. Yeah, it was about that. I would say um, that's about right. Yeah, because I was, I was the cook. I ran the yeah. kitchen most of the time at the beginning of my yeah. program. So yeah, I was at the center right. all the time. Right. You know, right. so I, we, had, we had lots of time. How many pages was your fourth step? 35 <laughs> whole pages. Now that's a thorough Third, fourth step. Right. <laughs> And, yeah, and you yeah. know, and I, and, you know, I, I ask knowing the answers to these things because I think it's important for our listeners uh, to, you know, understand what the possibilities are when yeah. you, you know, you make the commitment to, you know, to kind of to turn yourself or you're turning yourself in your life over to this process of recovery. You know, everyone's is a little differently, but. Um, um, I've only seen this probably, you know, two handfuls of times in in the last ten years, of people that actually give themselves completely to the process of sure this process, right, sure. and be willing to like. Um, I think this is what happens is the you know as they say the scales fall off your eyes or you you come to this new awareness. I think um, for some people that really turn you know their whole wholeheartedly turn their lives over to the care of God. You may not know entirely what that looks like, you know, at that time, mm -hmm. but just the, the willingness to do that, I think makes all the difference. Cause anybody can just say the words and go through the motions. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I know, um, 
Ezekiel, he he actually, you know, he's the real deal. I mean, he he'd come with he'd write notes and do journaling, and he'd be like, "Yeah, man, I you know, remember we were talking about this," and like the next day, all of a sudden, this pops up in scriptures, and then this person says this, and it like ties it all together. And that th- that that happened for him, you know, like all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It still and does. He would just yeah. he would just be like, "Man, I'm just you know." So step, step and, so in step yeah. twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, doesn't just start to happen at step twelve. It's as a result of you know one, two, three. You were having oh, yeah. spiritual awakenings from the very beginning. Yep. Right. God led you into into this recovery ministry, and then you're the, like you said, Dave. The scale starts to fall off, and you're having these realizations. Um, what what was what was one of the most challenging experiences you ever had while in residential treatment at um, Adult Teen Challenge? One of the most challenging things. Well, man. Okay, so one of the one of the most challenging. There's always sandpaper people, right? People that rub you the wrong way. <laughs> so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there because everybody's got that. But the so, iron sharpens what, iron is very real. It's yeah, very real. Yeah. <laughs> Don't kid yourself. That is real. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but one of the biggest challenges for me actually was learning when not to speak. Um, mm. I'm actually, I'm pretty outgoing, you know, I'm not afraid to speak my mind uh-huh. and, or, and just talk to random strangers, but, or mm. I'm also not afraid to correct somebody even when it's not my place to do so. Ah. So, so that was the bit, one of the biggest challenges for me when I was in residential treatment was it's not my place. I'm not going to say anything. You yeah. Know? And Dave knows that from working with me. Like, that's one of the things I would have to tell myself. Like, it's not my place. People are different. You know, right. There was we, lots of those conversations too. Like, how do yeah. I deal with this? Like, yeah, because you're supposed to hold each other accountable, but and, then you have to use right. wisdom when that's appropriate and when it's not. Right. Exactly. And, and that's difficult. Ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially at the beginning of phase of my recovery journey, that wasn't, I, I was not able to. discern when it was a tactful time for me to do that so i just hold someone else accountable yeah exactly i just had no idea i'm like you know just tell them not to do something right no that's not right so (laughs) stop telling me what to do yes don't touch my stuff how did how did you feel (laughs) so one of the things that happens when we go into a residential uh a program whether it's secular or faith-based either way you are now putting yourself under the authority of people in your life. And though you've been told what to do all your life by different things like stop signs, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, we don't look at it that way, but when we're in a controlled environment, all of a sudden it becomes very real to us that other people are pulling the levers and pushing the buttons and we can't be because we don't know how to, mm-hmm. and we have to fall under this authority. Was that hard for you to, to kind of, Put your own ego aside and do what you are instructed and guided to do. Actually, it wasn't because when I decided to to commit to this process of recovery and of being there at the Teen Challenge program, I decided to commit to all of it. So, it, so you were ready. It wasn't. Yeah, it, it wasn't hard for me. You we, know? We, we had some conversations about. You know, it, we all go through these experiences in life where we deal with people that have authority over us. Mm-hmm that we feel probably don't make the best decisions or probably sure. shouldn't be in that position. Sure. 
Um, but I think, you know, uh, like I had to do or like I chose to do and Ezekiel chose to do, it's like, okay, it's not, this is, I'm supposed to learn how to do this in order to be better. And like he said, at a certain point, he just submitted himself. Um, and I just want to say, you know, and you, I don't know if you, you're just maybe don't want to share it or forgot about this, but the other thing that I think was super difficult for you would be not putting away or putting away doing, the coffee mugs, doing, doing his fifth step. Oh, oh yeah. I think he put it off like, yeah, I remember when six you came, times. you came I put it to off me. three times, but it ended up being like four weeks. I know, remember when you off. came to me after you had done it. Mm-hmm. Right, and you were very, very excited about it. Yeah, because that was I, a milestone. Because it was, it was, it was almost, it was harder for me to actually go through the fifth step than it was to go through the fourth step. Admitted to God, myself, and another human being, the exact nature of my wrongs is is the fifth step, and that was why was that so hard? Because there's some ugly stuff on there, man. Yeah, that indeed. I did not want to have to look at. Indeed, let, let alone share with somebody else. I was like, I was pretty much okay with it. You know, writing it out and and then reading it aloud and sharing it with God. But then when it came to actually reading it aloud to another person, there got there got to be times in my fifth step that, you know, I'm sure Dave remembers that I like kind of took a breath and my tone of voice changed a little bit and I. (laughs) <laughs> muscles tightened up. Yeah, yeah, muscles tightened, but I but I read through it, you know, and right. I I did it and you know, it's it, it's just it's just a process that has to happen. It's a cleansing, it's a spiritual cleansing, you know, a soul washing, if you will, that yeah. that has to take place. Yeah. So, I mean, know? can you as I try to, you know, I tried to like explain this uh to people and it's it's hard to explain it, you know. Uh can you can you speak about like like what that was like to actually sh- you know struggle i mean you talked about it just now but like what it was a little bit of a struggle to actually do it but like how does it how did it feel afterwards because i try to you know put it across and it's hard to to really put it into words unless you've done it you know uh you know i've done it you've done it now and there's others that know what i'm talking about but can you share a little bit about what that you know uh, what that felt like to actually do it. Was it was it uh, better or worse than you you thought it was going to be? Or well, afterwards when I when I completed it, you know, there's I did feel like I didn't have to hold on to these things anymore. Uh, but the biggest one was that I didn't have to. I didn't have to hate myself anymore, you know, going, going through that and looking, you know, actually formulating sentences about what I had done, you know, so admitting the exact nature of my wrongs, right. And then articulating that to somebody else, it was, it's like letting it, releasing it, you know, I don't need to hold on to these things anymore. Uh, and it was part of, it was one of the biggest parts of the sh- releasing the shame you know, yeah. and guilt that was part of my life for so long. Mm. You know, that's one of, that was one of the big things is letting, yeah. letting go of that. And then just realizing that it's not, it's not the end of the world, you know, and it's, and that, you know, this guy obviously doesn't, he's not running away from me. You know, he actually, at the end of it, he told me, cause I did my fifth step with Dave here. He, yeah. he, he told me that, 
you know, the first words out of his mouth was, well, that was a, I would say that was a thorough fourth step, a thorough and fearless search and moral inventory is what he said. He said right. That's, right. That's what I would say. Because, so. because there is that fear, right? That if you knew these things about me, you would run away. And then that speaks yeah. to maybe some of our abandonment issues. And we're scared to death that one more time, someone is going to walk it's out of our life. It's not necessarily that somebody's going to walk out of my life because I don't, re- I don't think I really have abandonment issues. It's just that I, it's like that fear that once you know all of the bad things about me or right. that I've done, you're going to treat me differently. Right. Ah, okay. You know? Yeah. And that can be heavy. And yeah. that, yeah, that, that, that can be heavy, you know, and that's, that's yeah. why there's, there's still guards up and stuff you know, sure. with certain people. They, I'm not going to tell you th- this yeah. about me. Well, you got to right? use wisdom who you disclose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. So um, let, let's talk a little bit about, because we're getting ready to run out of time here, but I want to talk a little bit about um, the amends process. In the ninth step, it talks about making amends yep. to to uh, these people that, and these are the people that we put on our four step. Mm-hmm. Um that we have harmed and mm-hmm. that we're willing to make amends to these folks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what has that been like for you? Because you have really been working hard, <laughs> even as of late, to complete the amends process of some damage that was created in your active addiction. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of it. <laughs> right. So, uh, so, okay, so the amends process actually is and, it's and, a and, giant... And, and let me pause you. I'm sorry, but I have to say this. This continues even though you've graduated... From residential uh, residential program. Oh yeah, Adult Teen Challenge. Re- Adult and Teen Challenge just gave me the tools and you know the foundation of my recovery. So you know, and they like held my hand through the beginning stages of my recovery. But there you go. Graduating the program, you know, they're like, okay, you've completed, so we're we're entrusting your recovery to you. So now it's your job because it's your recovery, and, you know. And so right. my recovery continues, and I just now know how to go about it because of what I learned there. Sure. So go, so go mm-hmm. ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you, but I wanted to say that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, anyways, not, the ninth step, making the amends, make, made direct amends to people wherever possible, except when to do so to injure, injure others, yeah. them or others, right? Right. Whenever possible uh, is a better way. So it's like a giant feast of humble pie, basically, you know, because you got to go direct face-to-face with the person. You have to do it face-to-face, or at least I did. I have to do it face-to-face because then someone can see – that I'm sincere, you know, in mm-hmm. my apologies, you know, and I don't just, I don't just go and apologize to the person. Um, you make amends. I to mean, ninety five percent of my amends. I think there was two that weren't some. There wasn't a monetary amount that I could bring right to the the amends process, you know. And so it's not just about saying saying I'm sorry and I apologize and I'm really sincere and I'm really sorry. I don't even ask for forgiveness. I just tell them that I used to be a bad, I used to be really messed up. And, you know, depending on who it is, I explain what they mean to me and what they've done for me and that I recognize that and I tell them exactly what I've done and I apologize for that. And I don't mention anything about forgiveness on their part or my part because I'm not there for that. I'm there to just make right the wrongs that i've done and gotcha. so i hand, but i also bring with me whichever amount of money or whatever it was to make it right it's not words aren't good enough you know at least for me it's it's not good enough there has to be you know something to go along with those words so they know that i'm being sincere that i genuinely 
am trying to right the wrongs mm-hmm. of my past. You know, and wow. so I've done that. I've actually I've gone through my men's list was about a whole page long. Um, and each each amends I squeezed onto one line. So, you met, you know, there's like, yeah, it's a lot of lines. Has it been received well? Every one of them. Yeah. Every one to of them. To your surprise, even? Well. One of them was really surprising. The other ones were kind of not expected, but just I figured, you know, it'd be all right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But one was surprising that, that they accepted was, it well. They they expected it, accepted it better than anybody else, and that was the one that I thought was going to be the hardest to go to go and do. Yeah, you know, and the, this person, this lady, just uh, she just her capacity for forgiveness is beyond mm. anything I can even think of. Mm-hmm. You know, because she, I had told her that I needed to talk to her and we had put it off for a couple of weeks and then I finally came around to getting to talk to her and I was going to give her like $600 or something. I was right. About, that was about the amount that I figured that, that I figured that should cover everything and maybe a little extra, but I, you know, that the little extra would cover anything I'm forgetting mm-hmm, about. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, she, and she comes in the first thing she says to me and gives me a big old hug and says, hi honey. And I'm like, Wow! Really? Like this is gonna be? That's awesome! Like wow, this is gonna not be hard at all. I ended up talking to talking to her for like an hour, you know, and it was it was great. And now I actually see her from time to time, and she's my friend's mom. They're they're my family that took me in when I got kicked out when I first started using. Yeah, when I was eighteen. Yeah, so they're actually they're they live around the block from us, you know. Right. So they're kind of back in my life every once in a nice. while now which nice. is really cool because i never thought that relationship would be restored and here it is right restored right <laughs> you right. Know, so right so so let, let's move as we close this out let's move into what it's like now okay so we had what it was like what happened and that was your recovery uh journey how, how it started what it's like now um without being specific about the 12 step fellowship that you attend mm-hmm. um just to keep the traditions police at bay <laughs> okay right. um what are you doing now to not only maintain but to continue growing in your recovery and in your relationship with god following the directions i have morning morning meditation and prayer time mhm I go to a 12 step meeting which is actually my home group i go to well actually I go to two and I've also take I and the other thing is I do I I take people's people's advice now you know yeah. take, take someone's suggestions yeah. if if I trust that person I know they're just trying to help me like sure like Dave suggested when I get out of the program when you go to twelve step meetings maybe try different ones every once in a while to keep you interested you know yeah and so yeah so I do that yeah. you know I bounce around to different meetings from from time to time you know but I have a home group you know um I have a sponsor there you go yeah. I, I do 10th steps. I don't usually write them down, but at the end of the day, I do a mental 10th step. It's, it's usually um, in conjunction with my evening prayer time. Which is your continuing of your inventory process, right? Yeah, continuing yeah. of your inventory process. Sure. And then, you know, 11th step, right? It's mm-hmm. improving my conscious contact with God, and I do that with prayer and meditation, you know, and, and reading my Bible, actually opening it up and reading it. And, and I find that in the morning time works best for me to do that. That way the 
I'm starting my day off thinking about God, you know, and I, yeah, and I, I do whatever I can to what to make sure what goes into my body uh, be positive and healthy. Like I don't, I, I 98% of the time listen to Christian music, you know, and there's all genres of Christian music. Now I listen oh, to sure. Christian rap and hard rock and all sorts of different things. Now, you know, you, it's not all there, there's as soft piano as a, and guitar. Yeah, you, there's you know, there's like, as soft as a down pillow and there's as metal as, you know, iron, right? Yeah, exactly. And everything in between. Yeah, right, what yeah exactly. <laughs> what what makes the difference is the lyrics, you know? And so what you're, yeah. what are you going to listen to is, is what, what's going what's in. going in my body, yeah. you know, and so sure. so I just I guard myself on those things, you know, because the Bible says guard your heart above all else, you know, for everything you do proceeds from it, right? Yeah. And so so I do that, you know, and I remember that I'm still a work in progress, you know, and so I live by a certain favorite scripture that I actually got from Monty giving me assignment in the program <laughs> came from first Chronicles 20 uh, verses first Chronicles 28 20, 20 be strong and courageous and get to work <laughs> don't be frightened by the size of the task for the Lord my God is with you he will mm. not forsake you he will see to it that everything is finished correctly and I believe that man and I do that I, I do that I'm like I believe you, God, you are going to make sure things are finished correctly, but that means finished correctly. So I'm going to be strong and courageous and I'm going to get to work, man. And I'm yeah. going to do the work because that's what it takes. That's what life is, man. Life is, you know, growth is challenge, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. if I'm growing, then I'm continuing to challenge myself. So that's what I do. <laughs> so in closing, before we listen to the closing song. What would you like to say if these were the last words that you had to speak as a living, breathing young man to the listeners? What would you say to them? Not to put you on the spot. Put <laughs> put your trust in the light while there is still time. Mm. Then you will become children of the light. Wow. Yeah. My friend, I uh, you know how I feel about you. You know, um, we, we we run into a lot of people in our lives, you know, and, and some become very positive acquaintances, some not so positive sometimes, and we learn from that. Uh, others become close friends. Others become brothers, friends, confidants, and uh, I, I think the world of you, you know, I've got the utmost respect for you because you, you have been through the ringer and you've come out the other end and you continue to walk it out and that there it is there continuing in it. And I'm just so stinking proud of you, man. I am. Thanks for being my friend. Call them the brother from another mother. Right back at you guys. <laughs> Love you guys too, man. This has been a really good show. And, um, listen, I, I want to en encourage you uh, to download this show, play it for for maybe you've got loved ones who they don't think there's hope. Maybe they don't think there is a solution to the predicament that they're in. Um, if you're sucking air, there's still hope, right, Easy? That's right, right Dave. Don't give up. Don't give up. Uh, you, you've heard Easy's story. Um, we called it Easy Does It. It hasn't always been easy, but easy did do it, <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> and he continues to do it as well. So we're going to close out this this song. 
with this song from Richie Supa. It is called In the Rooms. It's one of his most popular ones, one of his original ones, uh, when he started uh, recording recovery-based music. Hey, where can you get this music at? You can get this music at Reco- – well, I say it right at the end of the song, So, but I'll say it right now. Uh, recovery well, I, I, Unplugged. Just, you know, I'm just pretending I'm the listener because yeah. I know that's that, – that's- I, I always tell us, Monty. Tell us. I always say at the end of a song where you can get it. Um, recoveryunplugged.com. You can hear. You can find out all sorts of stuff about Richie Supa uh, and, and Recovery Unplugged, which is all music-based reco- uh, tools for recovery, and all of his music is there as well. You can get his whole album there as well. Uh, so CD Baby. Also, you can go there and type in Richie Supa. Um, this song is about the rooms of recovery, specifically what Easy is doing now in the 12-step rooms of recovery, um, being a maximum service to God and the people he puts in his life. And that is the real reason we get clean and sober. It's not for abstinence. It's to be a maximum service. Right, Easy? That's right. All right, so here is Mr. Mr. Richie Supa with his song, In the Rooms. In my younger years, I let my spirit run Getting high, drinking all the time just for fun And I don't know where or when I crossed that line And I started dying I was so far gone, I couldn't find myself On the borders of insane is where I scream for help Then I found the door that opened up my eyes And I came alive In the rooms where broken angels go And love is like an army that comes to save your soul In the rooms there's a Yeah. 
Mr. Richie Supa with his song In the Room. So check out more of his music and the amazing work uh, that he is doing in the recovery community. Visit recoveryunplugged.com. Hey, listen, a very special thank you to the Ministry of Adult and Teen Challenge, which has been a huge part of our guest's recovery and uh, his restoration back to health and becoming a productive member of society serving God and the people that God puts in his life, Mr. Ezekiel Hill. Listen, if you want to find an Adult and Teen Challenge Center near you, simply visit teenchallengeusa.com, click on the Resources link, and then click on the Center Finder link. There are literally hundreds of centers in the United States and around the globe. Until our next broadcast... This is the Monty Man, along with the Tank 12 Recovery Radio family, and we are wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye now. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.